Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you as we continue to navigate these first steps of the new year. Uh, I'll start out by making mention of this. You know, I have been a pastor in Oregon for close to 25 years, uh, and an additional three and a half years was spent in Iowa. So we're approaching kind of that three decades mark of ministry. And I've seen in that the various waves and fads of church culture. I've seen us move from hymnals to overhead projectors. Remember how amazing those were? And then finally, you got church video projectors and video screens. Wow, that was incredible. I've seen pastors in their dress move from suits and ties, or for the ladies, more formal dresses, to finally sport coats and sweaters, maybe pantsuits for the ladies. Then we ended up with jeans with scrolly pockets on the back. There was a nice season of that. And finally, we now have pastors in hoodies and preachers in sneakers. I've seen the music change from piano and organ to that crazy addition of the acoustic guitar. Man, that was risky. Finally, full band with electric guitars and, of course, drums. (laughs) drums have defied churches for years. And as a drummer, I know what that's like. I remember one of the first times I played in a church, I wasn't even in the sanctuary. I was in a whole separate room. You're just too loud. You can't be in here with us. But finally, drums made their way onto the platform, at least for a little while. And once again, they were too loud. So what happened? Let's bring in the electric drums. Well, guess what? Drummers hated electric drums. So what do we have now? We have drummers in terrariums. It's so nice. That's what modern worship does. Drummers in their native habitat in a terrarium. It's so much fun. I've seen those changes. I've seen the fads of church culture, from the the leadership movement to the mega church movement to the micro church movement to the church planting movement to the missional church movement. So many movements. It's like the church had IBS. So many answers to the many challenges in front of us. Some of it was helpful. Not all. But in close to three decades, you see a lot. I mention that because I'm wondering if something is different now. For this reason. I I can't think of a time where people were speaking of revival as much as they are now. At least not in the way that I'm hearing revival spoken of. It's not being spoken of in flashy ways, like, oh, then we can have the big show. It's not being spoken of in prescriptive ways. Well, if we just go there or we just do this, then revival will happen. It's not in nostalgia. Oh, man, if we could just get back to the good old days. It's not in the consumer mentality. Wouldn't it be fun for us to have revival together? No, instead, I've begun to hear revival spoken of in a very different way. I've heard revival spoken of out of desperation. That one by one, could it be that we are finally coming to the end of ourselves, to the end of our power, to the end of our answers, 
coming to the place where we know that the only way out is Jesus. And I think that's a really good place to be. It's been said that revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. Maybe we're beginning to see the first signs of that. See, as I get older in my relationship with Jesus, I find that my response to the problems of people as they come and they maybe want to talk with a pastor about what they're walking through, I find my responses are not getting more complex. They're actually getting far more simple. Someone will share something with me, say, I'm walking through this, and my response often is, it sounds like you just really need to get close to Jesus. And that's not to discount all the work that people go through. And I see so much of the value of counseling and of coaching, but all of those vehicles in my mind simply pave a way for us to finally say yes to the divine healer. Because the truth is this, because our hearts are complex, the only one who can truly heal them is the one who made them. We just need Jesus. And in that, we need revival. I can't change you, you can't change me, but Jesus can change everyone. And as a needy candidate for that potential change, I simply come and I lay my weapons down and I lay my tools down and I lay my coping mechanisms down and I say, Jesus, I need you. Would you revive me as only you can? So today, we're going to look at a, a passage that gives us a picture of revival. And in doing so, we're going to be invited to grow in the faith that God desires for each of us. A faith that is able to revive each and every one of us if we would respond honestly to what God is saying. And here's the first thing I would point out. Revival establishes a restored identity. Revival establishes a restored identity. Second Chronicles 7, 14, the very first part. For some of you, this will be a familiar passage. But here's what it says. Let's read it together. Big voices, go. If my people who are called by my name. First thing I want you to notice here is the divine initiative. This starts with God. God reaches out, God shows up, and God establishes this bedrock truth, if my people. To me, we see employed here one of the most powerful words in the entire English language, if. Wrapped into those two letters is the free will and the independent agency of humanity. If my people will do X, Y, and Z implies there's also the real possibility that my people won't. There is a choice here. It's like the options that we have. Like in some restaurants you go to and you can say, yeah, I'd like, I'd like tea. And it's super simple for them. Out comes hot water and Lipton black tea. Okay. But some restaurants, you ask for tea. And they say, oh, yes. Well, what kind of tea would you like? Earl Grey, chamomile, ginseng, peppermint? Um, I'll go with Earl Grey. Okay, what would you like for it? Would you like lemon or honey or sugar? Um, 
uh, uh, sugar, okay. Um, granulated sugar, would you like maybe sugar in the raw? Splenda, stevia, agave nectar? Um, I'll go with Splenda. Would you like milk? Sure, I, I think I'd like milk. Okay, oat milk, almond milk, cow milk. Um, I'll go with cow. All right, 2%, 1% lactose-free. Um, how about 1%? Great. They say, can I get you anything else? Well, I'm, I'm like, a nap. I think I could use a nap after that whole exchange. So many choices. And, and although, yes, we need choices, they aren't always a blessing, especially when it comes to choosing God's best, choosing to answer God's call, because we don't always choose well. Those freedoms cut both ways. This is the very nature of the human problem, that God did not want to create robots that, that were programmed to love him, that were slaves to their own wiring. No, God desired a genuine, loving relationship with us. And to make that real, God had to make it possible for us to choose to love him or to choose not to. And we have been wrestling with the outcomes of those choices ever since. We have lived under the weight of that two-letter word, if. If, my people, will we choose God? God is reaching out to us, but we must choose to be reached. And we have, at times, been unreachable. Reminds me of a man, uh, he was concerned that his wife was starting to get hard of hearing, but he didn't know how to bring it up with her without kind of being a fight and her getting defensive. And so he went to his doctor and asked, how can I, how can I sort of see if this is really happening? And the doctor said, it's really simple. Just whenever you're around the house, just start out at a distance away, like 40 feet away, and just in a normal speaking tone, ask her a question. And then uh, if you don't get a response, then move like 10 feet closer, do the same thing, 30 feet, 20 feet, ask the same question until eventually you get the answer. And you'll have some sense of if she's having hearing loss or not. So later that week, they're in the house and she's in the kitchen. He's in the living room. He's like, well, it's about 40 feet away. And so just in a normal tone, he said, honey, what's for dinner? No response. Hmm. So he moved 10 feet closer in the living room. Honey, what's for dinner? Still no response. Moved into the dining room, about 20 feet away. Honey, What's for dinner? No response. Whoa, boy, she's really got, she's bad. Moved into the kitchen, outer edge of it, 10 feet away. Honey, what's for dinner? Still no response. Moved five feet away. Honey, what's for dinner? Nothing. He's like, she is so deaf. Finally got up right behind her. Honey, what's for dinner? And she turned around angrily with a spoon in her hand, said, Bill, I've told you five times, chicken. <laughs> <laughs> we don't always hear. We don't always respond, especially to God. But maybe, maybe this time, when our lives have been turned upside down enough, when our world is so broken, when what seems so solid has all turned to sand, maybe we will finally seek the only one who can turn us right side up. 
If my people who are called by my name, amidst so much confusion on every front, confusion around who we are, confusion around what we are to do, God breaks through all of it and says, you are mine. You're called by my name. Do you hear the family relationship in this daughter-son? God is saying, you may have never felt like you belong anywhere in this world, but I'm telling you, you belong with me. And in that, God longs to restore our identity in him to let us live and walk in the confidence and the purpose that we were created for to pull us out of our confusion. But all of that comes from our response to that single two-letter word, if. Leonard Ravenhill said, the only reason we don't have revival is because we're willing to live without it. Until we answer the question of if, we will continue to question everything else in our lives. Revival establishes a restored identity. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Revival requires an active repentance. Continue the passage, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Second part, big voices go. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Do you see the activity here? Humble myself, pray, seek, turn, very active. Repentance, it begins in our thoughts, but it is completed in our actions. This is really the tension that is expressed in the book of James, that any faith that is not accompanied by action is dead. That's the case that James makes. And although it is only our faith that pleases God, it is our action that validates the sincerity of that faith. So if we are to experience revival, there will be an outward expression of a change in behavior. It's like um, with Paula, uh, my wife Paula. We probably speak the words, I love you, to each other in some form just about every day. Maybe not if we're doing a home improvement project, but on most other days, we're gonna speak those words to each other. Uh, when we're leaving, we'll say, I love you. When we're saying goodnight, we'll say, I love you. And those words absolutely do matter. But I also know what additionally communicates that I truly love Paula. And it's an action that stops and says, hey, let's get out of the house. Let's." Let's go to TJ Maxx. Let's, let's go to World Market. Let's just do some shopping just for whatever. Just, just have some time together. And if I'm feeling really loving, I might even say, let's go to Ulta Beauty. Wow, that's, that's the depth of sacrifice right there. I mean, how many colors of gel nail polish can there be? I mean, I know it lasts longer, but still, it's just a lot. But these are the actions of love that validate that expression that's so easily tossed around. Could it be that for so long in the American church, we have made our repentance an expression, but never validated that expression with action? We sing songs of revival, songs of dedication, songs of transformation, but that's where we stop. Yet here we see God's call to a changed heart 
tied to a changed action. Humble myself, pray, seek, turn. Tozier said, to desire revival and at the same time to neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. If no part of my life is changing from this desire for revival, then I must ask, do I really desire it? Because if that's not happening, then I am not desperate. Too often in my life with Jesus, I, I think, and, and, and certainly in my life in church, I find that maybe I've settled for what was spoken of in 2 Timothy, a form of godliness denying its true power. That sometimes we can settle into, well, as long as churches have people and stuff and budgets and their pleasant places, well, that's the goal, right? Yet God is saying, what about me? What about my power? God's saying, you've shown me what you can do. Will you let me show you what I can do? Revival does not come about by our churches being filled with people. Revival comes about by people in our churches being filled with God. And too often I have settled for the first part of that and I've ignored the second. But Jesus, he's so good. And he waits for us and he, he waits for us to come back and he waits for us to finally wake up and finally turn to him. And he walks with us through our, our pain and, and starts to stir in us that desperation or, or we walk, he walks with us in our grief and our loss and he meets us there in our comfort reminding us of how good he is if we would just lean on him. And Jesus then brings us face to face with this call if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if we will finally put our feet to our faith, everything can change. That is the challenge that is being placed before us because revival requires an active repentance. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Revival releases an expansive mercy. Finish the passage, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, last part. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Do, do you see how expansive this is? How expansive the mercy of God is here? Mercy for me, but also mercy for others. The land, the people, the community. That if we would do our part, in humbling ourselves, seeking God, turning from our own wickedness, truly repenting, then God will bring this promise. I will hear you from where I am. I will forgive your sin and I will heal your land. This is what is so amazing to me. My individual decision to repent is not only essential in my healing, it is essential to the healing of my community. And I know how much I need healing, and you know how much you need healing, but all of us know how much our community needs healing. Addiction, poverty, mental illness, despair, the list goes on and on. 
No amount of money or great ideas has fixed it. Why? Because only Jesus can. Only God can heal our land. Somehow in that equation, that it's possible that my individual repentance as God's child leads to God's corporate healing in our land. That as we turn to God, God's work increases in scope and in pace around us. Which brings us back to that first question, the question of if. Will we humble ourselves? Will we pray? Will we seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways? You say, well, how do I do that? I and mean, what does that look like? Well, let me give you a very practical starting point. Beginning on Friday, January 28th of this year, and continuing then on the fourth Friday of every month for this next season, we will begin what we're calling Revive. It is a day of seeking Jesus at Cove Church. Our church sanctuary will be open from 7 to 8 a.m., also uh, from noon to 1 during the day. It'll be, it's a guided prayer can happen during that time. But on that evening, we'll have a, a special time together of worship and of prayer where we will seek God's face personally and corporately. We will also have opportunity for you to come and be prayed for uh, by our prayer team here, seeking God to meet you with his healing, with God's encouragement, with God's grace. Friends, this is not about flash or spectacle. It's about desperation. Will we, who are called by God's name, humble ourselves, pray, and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways? This is God's plan A. And there is no plan B. I'm inviting our church to participate, each and every one of us that's part of this. If you do it at home, if you're an online person, you can do this there. But I'm also inviting us to fast on that day. Some of you just hear the word fast and say, well, I'm out. That's not me. Um, and this isn't a message about fasting, but, but just in a simple way, fasting is not about us showing God how much we love him by making ourselves miserable. That's not what fasting is all about. Fasting is about saying no to something in the physical so we can say yes to something better in the spiritual. It's saying, yes, I recognize I need physical bread, but I need the bread of life more. That's what fasting is about. So on that fourth Friday, we're inviting you to fast a meal or to fast a day and to seek Jesus in the space that that creates in your life. My hope for that fourth Friday of January is that it will be the largest single gathering on our monthly church calendar. Why? because this is what God's people do. And whether it happens online, if you're doing it at home, that's, that's fine too, but we would love to have you here if that was possible. But this is what God's people do. Friends, we can spend our time shaking our fists at governments or we can pray for governors. We can curse a virus or we can seek out the healer. We can give in to despair or we can run to the deliverer. And we are the only ones that will do this. 
if my people, we have heard God call our name, will we answer? God wants to bring his life to us and to our land because revival releases an expansive mercy. I'll wrap up with this. You know, that week uh, between Christmas and New Year's, uh, here in the Eugene area, we were snowed in here. And uh, a little bit prior to that, we had purchased some new flooring for a particular room in our house that the floors had gotten damaged. And it's that snapped together stuff that looks like, like wood. Uh, it's made of something else, I, I don't know, but it's, it's that kind of stuff. And so we were supposed to go up to Washington to be with Paula's family, and uh, we weren't able to, which was disappointing. But we figured, well, this is a good time for us to do this flooring project together, Paula and I. Let's, let's do this together. And we're like, it snapped together. How hard could it be? It's like Legos, basically, you know. And three days later from that, we knew how hard this could be. Um, I had borrowed a table saw from a friend. I started out when I did it. I started out going the wrong way. And so we had to undo a whole bunch of the starting point. Um, I didn't have the right tools, so I had to go out and buy the right tools. I learned uh, a lot in that time. Paul and I learned a lot in that time. We learned a lot about flooring. We learned a lot about pace. We learned a lot about our relationship. <laughs> but finally, after three days, we ended up with something we love. But it was one piece, one step at a time. Sometimes it was even undoing something so that we could then move forward and do it better. But eventually, we got somewhere good. I say that because I don't know all of the places or all of the steps that God will lead us in as a church but I know without a doubt that God is calling us deeper today. God is asking us, will we humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn? It's simple, but it's not easy. But it is our only course. A world this deep in darkness is not changed by casual followers of Jesus, nor are our hearts. Jesus is calling us to more. And it is a call that is embedded with his great love for us. So we get to take a first step. Arthur Japan Pearson wrote this, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Every revival historically has begun with a group of people who get desperate enough to stop telling God their plans and simply seek God for his. Would we be that people? Because if we would say yes to that call, God will hear us, God will forgive us, and God will heal our land. 
Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.